That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome to another weekend bonus episode of the Tech Meme Ride Home. I'm Brian McCullough. Did you all do your homework? I'm just kidding, of course. But we are going to talk to the great Connie Chan once again about that package of essays from Andreessen Horowitz that I mentioned on the weekend long reads yesterday. And we're going to talk about the future of video. Connie says it's going to be live, social, and shoppable. Oh, and a reminder to maybe watch this on our YouTube channel to up our numbers a bit. Please enjoy. Connie, I was just saying you basically seeded my weekend long read segment for this week. Um, the the whole, on a whole, I guess the package that y'all put out is about social not being dead or at least not being, you know, completely, uh, you know, uh, claimed at this point. Uh, can we yeah. just start with, with the premise of these essays that while people think social was basically done, that, you know, big platforms had locked it all up, but you guys are positing the exact opposite almost. Yes, yes. I, I think there was a phase and a time when a lot of investors felt we already have Instagram, we already have Snap, there isn't going to be a new social player. And we are exactly like you're saying, Brian, um, arguing the opposite, because we actually still think there's a lot of problems and jobs to be done in social that are not addressed today. There are also new formats around video, around audio, where we think there's still a lot more experimentation to be done. And if you think about social, I think, uh, you know, one very narrow definition of social is it's capturing the people you already know. But the reality is social just means you're interacting with another human being. And so there's a whole wide universe of platforms that have yet to be built to help you meet other people maybe that you don't know as well, or you're maybe just acquaintances with, that you'd actually have a fantastic relationship if you had a great interaction. So maybe is it fair to say maybe the social graph has been locked out in terms of we've mapped out all of our relationships. But what you're saying is this new type of social is going beyond that and basically uh, ways that, that aren't actually lining up to a graph. It's digitizing the rest of our human interaction, mm -hmm. right? Actually, like the people I call most frequently don't necessarily map to the same people I heart on Instagram, which don't necessarily map to the same people I'm messaging on LinkedIn. And so we as human beings have multiple identities and different social graphs. And right now, I still believe there's a lot of our graphs and interactions that are not yet digitized. So maybe it would help if we mentioned some for framing purposes, like you're, you're saying new types of social. So like name some of these apps or services that are these new types that you're talking about. Yeah, I mean, well, for example, in the audio space, Clubhouse is a new way you can engage and meet with people that you haven't met in the past and maybe you don't even know, um, but you get together because you have a shared interest and in a topic and you learn about each other and you can become friends with each other. Um, you know, in the, in the video space, TikTok, I think, has taken the country by storm and continues to grow because it is also introducing you to new content creators and new people you wouldn't have followed otherwise. Right. There's that Eugene Way 
idea of it's not about followers so much as it's this new um it, you're, you're able to surface new ideas and new people in different ways beyond just again mapping to a, a social graph yeah Yes, because the, the idea that my friends know exactly what I want to buy, what I want to eat, what I want to do next, I think is just a flawed premise. Actually, um, when, I, when I buy things, I don't actually ask my closest friends for their recommendations because most of the time I'm buying completely different things. I actually trust, even though I know the reviews aren't 100% accurate, I trust the Amazon reviews more so when I'm shopping for, say, a baby product than just asking one or two friends because you have the wisdom of the masses. You have more people engaging in that conversation. Well, and that was the other interesting thing, um, reading all of the essays, like basically you're positing that having a social component can be plugged in for all sorts of uses now, like a retention tool. Um, right. you, can, you can use it for education, shopping, fitness, food, entertainment, everything. So again, Maybe if we've always, from the beginning of the web era, been like, well, you can have commerce as a component of whatever your platform does. It's almost now the inverse is that you can have social be a component of whatever you're doing, be it education, be it commerce, be it whatever. So, I mean, social at the end of the day just means you're interacting with someone. And that whole idea of social plus exactly what you're saying. Uh, my partner Darcy wrote a great piece on that. And I do believe that social can be embedded across the board. Uh, especially in anything where you are watching content, interacting with other viewers, interacting with the creator, or maybe you're doing something that's interactive to begin with, such as education, and you're interacting with the teacher and other students. Um, you know, reading the the whole suite of essays, it made me think that, yeah, it, it, it not only is social not dead, but we're kind of seeing like a, a weird resurgence right now in everything. Because yeah. if you think like, you know, Peloton, has a social element that, that they're starting totally. to build out. Like we've been hearing so much about like in gaming, like Fortnite and Roblox and Among Us even. Um, you, you're mentioning yeah. like Clubhouse, but House Party also and messaging and things like that. Did you yeah. have any idea why, now that I see it, that it is, there's almost a resurgence. Do you have any idea why we're seeing this resurgence right now? Like what changes technically or culturally have happened that uh, have led to this resurgence? Uh, you know, I think we were always going to get here, get here to this moment, and it just took us a little while to, to, to get to this realization that social really does two wonderful things for companies. One is it's very fun. And so you talk about like Among Us, games, this makes doing whatever you're doing more fun. It makes it more game-like. It has leaderboards, right? Like with Peloton, when you can see how your friends are interacting with Peloton, it's the motivating factor for you to exercise. And that's really key. So social can actually get someone to be more engaged in the long term and more likely to use the product than if it was a completely solo single player experience. The natural fun thing creates the competition, it creates the motivation, and it just makes something that's inherently not necessarily fun a lot more game-like. And so I believe that social naturally will help products uh, have basically longer retention. And then the second piece that social really unlocks is virality and growth. Because right now we're hitting a point where people are more hesitant to download a new app. You have to have a very strong value proposition to get me to download a new application now. Right. right. And then companies are realizing, hey, rather than just buying ads all over the place, 
can I build in some virality, more social hooks so that my users have an incentive to share it with their friends so that my users have an incentive to post it on their Instagram. Well, and this is from one of the pieces, I can't remember who, who wrote this one in the package, but um, there's also with, with social generally, the scale can be huge, even if you get like a small slice of a, of a, like a niche or an interest topic yeah. or things like that. Like, I think that yeah. uh, w- with just 1% share of active users, Tinder claims well over 5 million daily active users and brings in a billion dollars a year in revenue from that. So that's not the billion scale. That's only 5 million, but that can still generate a billion dollars in revenue just from that sliver. Well, I think it's because social at the end of the day is interactive, which means you're emotional. You're not just interacting with algorithms. You're interacting with actual humans on the other side. And once you bring in the element of emotion, there's all kinds of things people are willing to pay for, right? You're willing to pay to get noticed. You're willing to pay to to flatter someone. You're willing to pay to flirt. You're willing to pay to buy status, whatever it is, Um, the willingness to interact with a platform, you know, at a much deeper scale increases when you feel like you're actually building relationships with human beings on the other side. Well, and that was another key takeaway for me is that um, you're distinguishing between, like we think of engagement all of this time as, well, right, I open Instagram 20, 30 times a day. That's, that's That's the addiction of certain types of apps and things like that. But there's a difference between like, that sort of engagement and like absorption. Like you can also with social have apps that maybe you don't open them every day, but when you do, you engage with them for hours at a time. Like we've, again, we're seeing this a lot in gaming, but like that is also, there's more of a quality sort of thing that we're talking about here than just the quantity and the scale. Totally. And I think part of it is some social companies, like you alluded, if they focus on just a niche there's actually a higher chance that it will resonate with one of my identities that I will personally say I identify with, right? Maybe I feel like I'm a trendsetter. Maybe I am a collector. Maybe I'm a DIY crafter. Maybe I'm a, you know, a deal hunter, whatever it is. You have these new communities, social communities that really make me feel included and make me feel like that part of my identity can shine. And I think that's also a reason why the incumbents, quite honestly, um, will have to figure out how to navigate this new world. Because humans, we have multiple identities. And a lot of these existing social platforms don't make it easy for you to share all parts of yourself, right? Like if I have a YouTube channel, maybe I talk about tech. Hey, I really love singing and karaoke. I can't put that in the same channel, right? Or maybe on Twitter, I talk a lot about inspiration and innovation coming out of Asia and international, but I have a whole bunch of thoughts around parenting or whatever else it is. And I can't put that in the same Twitter feed even, right? Because a lot of these existing platforms, in order for you to kind of really develop your following, you kind of have to choose one or two identities, maybe two max, and really just go deep on that. It's very hard to find a platform that allows you to develop all these parts of yourself. And I think that's actually the opportunity. When you go through airport security, there's one line where the TSA agent checks your ID and another line where a machine scans your bag. The same thing happens in enterprise security, but instead of passengers and luggage, it's end users and their devices. These days, most companies are pretty good at the first part of the equation where they check user identity. 
but user devices can roll right through authentication without getting inspected at all. In fact, 47% of companies allow unmanaged, untrusted devices to access their data. That means an employee can log in from a laptop that has its firewall turned off and hasn't been updated in six months. Or worse, that laptop might belong to a bad actor using employee credentials. Collide finally solves the device trust problem. Collide ensures that no device can log into your Okta-protected apps unless it passes your security checks. Plus, you can use Collide on devices without MDM, like your Linux fleet, contractor devices, and every BYOD phone and laptop in your company. Visit collide.com slash ride to watch a demo and see how it all works. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash ride, collide.com slash ride. We all know there are things in life that you have to compromise on, but when it comes to your health, there is no compromise. So don't go back to that one doctor who uses your appointment to catch up on the latest headlines, their family group chat, their crossword puzzles, just because they're available right now or they take your slightly sketchy insurance. Instead, check out ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. And you can search by location, availability, and insurance. So literally no compromises here, because with ZocDoc, you've got more options than you know. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. Once you find the doc you want, you can book them immediately. No more waiting awkwardly on hold with a receptionist. And these docs all have verified reviews from actual real patients. We're talking about booking appointments with tens of thousands of top-rated patient-reviewed credible doctors and specialists. I have personally used ZocDoc to find a podiatrist when I needed one for the first time ever in my life. Go to Zoc ZocDoc.com slash techmeme and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash techmeme. ZocDoc.com slash techmeme. Um, let's dive into your essay specifically because you're looking at, at video um, as a platform in this lens and at the, you know, at the risk of putting words in your mouth. Like, I'd roughly summarize your thesis as like, in this new video era of TikTok, like you go through the history of like, you know, TV is just a lean back engagement. Then YouTube yeah. came in and said, well, it can be a one minute video or a 24 hour video or whatever. And now TikTok is like, well, it can be a 15 yeah. second, you know, like, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And so now interactivity is baked in also with, with TikTok. It's not lean back. So this opens up yeah. a whole world of possibilities for education, shopping the whole lot. So, um, Tell me about this. Like, how does this open up new vistas in this yeah. engaged sort of TikTok video world? Yeah, totally. I, I would say if I had to, you know, if I had to summarize the essay in one sentence, I would say video historically was something exactly like you said, right? We, we used to lean back and watch it. And now video is going to be something that we do, which means you are interacting with it in some way. You are responding to it, whether in the in the same way that when you're gaming, you you like we kind of hate the cutscenes in gaming because we can't be involved in it. Like you're saying that video can be engaging all the time, like gaming has been. Yes, yes. Go, all right, I interrupted. Go ahead. Exactly, exactly, and and that engagement means it can disrupt every kind of normal human interaction that we had in the offline world, I'm saying video is going to develop new features so that all those human interactions can work just as well, if not better, in an online world. 
And you you pointed out that this was happening even before COVID hit because, you know, streaming had been rising, you know, going back even five years, six years or whatever. I'm right. sure COVID had helped. But like, so right. again, you feel like that this is a moment that we were building towards and we're going to hit eventually. I, I, yeah, 100%. I do think this was a moment we were going to hit no matter what. Now, of course, everyone knows how to use Zoom. I think mm-hmm. a lot of people bought webcams, a lot of people bought tablets, whatever it is. So people, yes, now have more of the hardware equipment they need to kind of enter this new era. Um, but I don't think it ultimately changes that we were going to get here anyways, because video is just another way for you to interact with another human. And rather than just reading about something or, or, or listening about something, you actually can see the person. And so naturally video is more fun. It makes everything more fun, right? If I am just even right now, as we're recording this podcast, if I did this just by audio and I couldn't see you in your cool purple shirt, <laughs> it would not be as fun, right. right? But I see you and I see your background moving and I see your microphone set up and I feel like I'm talking to you in a completely different way than just a normal phone call. And so video brings things alive and it makes things more fun. And again, going back to why social is powerful, social is more fun. And in the end state, I do think everything has to be more fun. Because if I can choose between a fun education platform and a not fun one, I'm definitely choosing the fun one. If I can choose between a fun finance app or a, or a not fun finance app, I'm choosing the fun one. And a lot of it is because fun gives us the motivation to do the things that we didn't want to do anyways. You know, it takes vitamins, it turns them into candy. Well, so let's get into some of the actual applications and like use cases that you're seeing here. And since you mentioned education, let's start with that. Like uh, specifically, like what can we do with this new type of interactive video era in in education? Oh, so much. Um, And education for video in particular, I've been studying for a few years because it's a very, very big sector in China and very quickly growing. Uh, A lot of moms, especially in the tier one cities, are now using their tablets for math lessons, for science lessons, for art lessons, for every single subject, really, you know, for online coding, you name it. Um, And what's been really powerful is in this new video world, you're not just talking to a, a talking head on the other end of the video. You're incorporating cartoons, you're using puppets, you are using arcade games in the actual class to kind of reinforce the curriculum. You know, in my essay, I talk about how in EdTech, this is really a a math meets Mickey Mouse moment. Imagine taking all the best folks who create video games and ask them to create first grade math curriculum. I guarantee you it's gonna be more fun. It's gonna be more engaging. It's gonna have sound effects. It's gonna have stickers that fly across the screen. And all of those things make it more motivating for the student to complete the actual lesson. Well, and like, as an example, like what I found compelling, and by the way, hitting a first grade curriculum, you're right up my alley right now, because um, I've got a first grader that's struggling over Zoom at the moment. But um, like, things like, you know, we've known for years that, hey, if in this modern era, if you want to learn to play guitar or something like that, you can go to YouTube and for free get these master classes. But again, yeah. it's sort of this old paradigm of, all right, I am lectured to, but I can't really. So you're just, I, I found it really fascinating. You're describing this sort of interactivity where it's like learning to play the guitar, uh, 
piano, whatever it is, like not only is the person live instructing, teaching in front of you, but your interaction back and forth, like you can see the actual, like you're, okay, you've got that chord. Let's move on to this chord, that sort of thing. Yes, exactly. So, so it almost mimics, it does actually a hundred percent mimic like a real live instructor right there in your room. And oftentimes these courses are recorded. So during the week before your next lesson, you can go back and review things. These platforms could also eventually incorporate AI so that when I'm playing something, maybe I have, you know, tips even without my live instructor on how I can improve my guitar playing. Um, I might be posting clips of songs that I'm working on and I might find a community of other people learning guitar and they can write comments on how I can improve or even just give me more validation that I'm doing a good job. Um, There's a lot of things that are possible in this online world that are really hard to replicate in the offline. And in EdTech in particular, um, why I think it's super powerful is you create this curriculum once, you use it forever. First grade math curriculum doesn't change very much, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like teaching someone how does a, a plant grow, that, that doesn't change very much. And so it's really empowering, especially for people who don't have access to those world-class instructors, because those world-class instructors, almost in the same way they make a movie or a TV show, you invest in creating the content once. And you can use it and apply it to millions of people. And on the live instructor point, you know, the other thing that it unlocks is actually the ability for more people to afford this kind of learning. Because now if I'm living in the Bay Area, I don't just have to choose from the tutors who live in the Bay Area. I can choose from tutors worldwide who aren't in my time zone, who aren't in my country. And in fact, if I'm learning language, for example, right, it helps to actually speak with the native speaker. And so there's a bunch of topics where I think this online learning platform not only can 10x the kind of content you would normally get access to, but actually make these courses cost one-tenth the price of the in-person equivalent. Now that isn't to say that like in-person tutoring or in-person piano teachers are going away. Um, You know, honestly, like when COVID passes or whatever, (laughs) I I hope my daughter's piano teacher can come back to our house again. Right. Because they are forming a great relationship when they're in person. He gives her a physical sticker and the physical sticker probably makes her happier than the digital sticker to be quite honest. But I'm saying that the piano on Zoom, if done well, can get really close to the human equivalent. I was going to say, you know, uh, that Dan Smith will teach you guitar guy that puts up all those flyers around New York City. <laughs> he doesn't have to put up the flyers anymore. He just, uh, everyone can come to him. Uh, so let, let's move on to shopping because this is one where I, I have great skepticism, but tell me, tell me what you can see this doing for shopping. Yeah. When I first learned about video shopping, it was probably two, three years ago when it started taking off in China. So around four or five years ago, China had a big wave of live streamers just for more companionship and entertainment. And live streaming was a very big source of entertainment. You know, you can go to these apps, find a bunch of people to talk to, watch them eat, just hang out with them, whatever it was, give them digital stickers. And a couple of years ago, he started seeing this evolve into commerce where when you're talking to them, there's a button that pops on the screen, you click and you can complete a purchase in like five seconds, right? Because they have the infrastructure of WeChat payments, Alipay, they have the infrastructure of Taobao shops. And so it was really easy for a lot of these platforms to kind of bootstrap that e-commerce 
um, uh, functionality and, and launch that very quickly. What you started seeing was in the same way that we grew up with infomercials and QVC, people very quickly learned how to make engaging, entertaining content to sell things. And I totally understand the skepticism um, because I know like, you know, a lot of us, we don't watch QVC anymore. I mean, I grew up watching a lot of infomercials, but I, I don't anymore. <laughs> right, right. And a lot of us would say, you know, Home Shopping Network, QVC, those are for older generations. But you have to somehow marry that with the fact that younger generations still love video. And it's not just Gen Z, it's millennials, it's everyone. Everyone still loves video. And inherently, video is a better way to have more confidence in a product that you're thinking about buying. You know, if I am looking for a product, I will go read the reviews on Amazon, but I will also oftentimes, if it's a high price point product, read about it, not read, watch it and listen to it on YouTube. You know, when I'm buying a camera, I'm going to YouTube for my reviews. When I was buying a baby stroller, I went to YouTube because I wanted to see, in comparison to the other strollers I could choose from, which one's bigger? How hard is this to open and close? How heavy is this, right? Like I'm still going to YouTube for product reviews. So we naturally have all been shopping with video already for many, many years. It just was not so easy to check out on the same place. And that's yep. the only big difference that once we realized if you could check out in the same place, you had all the same logistics, return policies in place, what does that actually mean for how we shop? Let's be real for a minute. Most guys would wear a t-shirt every day of their lives if they could. The problem is that most t-shirts are not acceptable to wear at work or out on a hot date night. But today's sponsor, Cuts, has finally changed that. Cuts t-shirts are such high-quality, wrinkle-free, and so buttery soft that you can look like you're dressing up even when you're dressing down. Yeah, you heard that. Wrinkle-free. You never have to substitute comfort for fashion ever again. If you see me in a t-shirt, it's likely one from Cuts. I'm also a huge fan of their AO5 pocket pants, the right sort of step up from jeans without going all the way into dress pants, like literally my ideal Venn diagram of professional looking but comfortable feeling. When you touch something from Cuts, you can immediately feel the quality. Their proprietary fabric blends are ridiculously soft and breathable, they don't wrinkle, and they look way more expensive than they actually are. For a limited time, our listeners get 20% off your entire order when you use code RIDE at checkout. That's 20% off your order at CutsClothing.com with promo code RIDE. Please support our show and tell them we sent you. Experience the perfect blend of style and comfort with Cuts Clothing. CutsClothing.com, promo code RIDE for 20% off. Whenever I need to do financial research for this show, for instance, during tech earnings season, when I have to analyze how various companies' stocks have been performing, I only ever turn to our sponsor today, Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They are the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. 
securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insights to look at your wealth in its entirety. With a community of over 90 million users each month, their real strength is helping you on your way to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Right, because you actually, I'm actually in the midst of this. I've probably watched, you know, six hours of YouTube videos because I'm in the market for a new e-bike. And um, you made me go down like this sort of like logic chain of, yeah, maybe 30 years from now, we'll think it's insane that commercials didn't, weren't instantly viable. You know what I mean? Like you would go somewhere and watch all this stuff, but then had to go somewhere else. And then if you think about it, like, if you look at it through that lens, like Amazon and everybody else is still very much in a catalog paradigm where mm-hmm. it's like, it's, it's a list of items and like, here's, you know, reviews and things like that. They've advanced it that way. But yeah. like the idea that your point of purchase should also be your point of education and your point of like l- learning the, the, about the product and things like that, it should yeah. be one place as opposed to these separate places. Yeah. And, 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 you know, catalog really is fantastic when you're searching for something, you know, exactly what you want to buy. You just want the lowest price point. You just want speed. Right. But there's a lot of us, especially for these big ticket items, we're in the discovery mode. We don't know which e-bike brand is great. I don't know which features really matter. I don't know what the battery charging. I don't know anything about e-bikes, to be honest. I, I want to know if I can fold it up. <laughs> how much is it going to, you know, how, how hard is it to get the battery out of there? Right. And that's what those videos are doing for me. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And so YouTube is already a great place to discover great products. And I'm just saying that video is a fantastic way to discover things, to have more confidence in the thing you're going to purchase. And it also is a great place, you know, for the e-bike, you say how to fold it up. It's how you can demo the product, right? Like, mm-hmm, let's mm-hmm. think back to the infomercials that we watched 10, 20 right, years ago, right, right, 30 right. years ago. It was all this, like, this is how the George Foreman grill works, right? <laughs> look, at what the, look at what this knife can chop up, right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Demonstrations, unboxing, customer, t- like, testimonials. Well, and and forget, about, forget about, you know, uh, infomercials. I mean, that's what a store used to be. A showroom was a place where you demoed the product for the potential yeah. customer. Right. Go ahead. Yeah. I, I remember walking into the, the Brickstone stores and trying all their, all their gadgets and, and massagers, right? I mean, that's, that's, what, that's what Apple stores be. function as as well, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Right. And so I think about all this and I'm like, okay, you know, for, for a very long time, the industry was fixated on turning the television and figuring out how to make the television shoppable or like, how do you create the second screen experience for the television commercial? And I'm just saying we are watching video content now on our computers and on our phones and the television is like a monitor, (laughs) right? To broadcast the thing that was on our computer anyways. And so you don't now need to solve those things for this old television world. It's all interactive. It's all internet enabled. And so everything can become more shoppable. Um, and, And it's from a discovery standpoint. It's also from a storytelling standpoint. So if I'm buying arts, crafts, uh, if I'm buying a painting to watch the person painted in real time, I have a much deeper appreciation for the product. You know, I just bought scrunchies um, for my my friend's daughter 
um, from her Shopify store. And it's because I was watching her YouTube videos of her crocheting and she's showing people how she crochets scrunchies and she puts out two videos a week. And from that, I'm like, okay, if I ever need to buy scrunchies, I'm going to buy it from Allie because I now have a deeper affinity to her product. And so all creators with YouTube followings um, that have any kind of product, you can see how that same mentality means that they're going to be able to move more merchandise and move more product if the platforms build in the right tools. Well, and you had mentioned in China, the infrastructure was there. And then, of course, that plugs into what we've been talking about with uh, Shopify and things like that. Um, real quick, one more, uh, so I don't keep you too long. Um, meeting new people. Again, um, beyond just dating, like you were even using examples of uh, networking and mentoring and things like this. So, so tell me some about that, because that plays into the whole idea, again, of this is, this is social, not just for people you know, or not just for people you follow. It's for finding new people. Yeah, you know, I, I think it's a, it's a shame that if you have specific interests, it's really hard to find your tribe online to scratch all of those itches, right? And, and again, it's all about how humans are really multifaceted. We all have multiple identities. Yes, I like tech. I like studying innovation. I also collect old vintage Peanuts comic books, right? Like I have all these different interests that are not captured in my existing social circle. So how do I find those people? And historically, I'd have to go to an to an old forum website, honestly. That's where most of these communities live, still on these really old text-based forums. And I'm just saying there can be a new version of those communities. And there should be new places where I can find those like-minded people. So we can talk about topics that we're interested in. When you think about someone moving into a new city, sometimes like I, I even ask like, how do, you, how do you meet friends? And sometimes people are not just wanting to meet people for dating. There's a lot of great products out there for dating and meeting new friends. But um, when you're looking at it for a non-dating context, just people who share similar interests, I still feel like that problem hasn't been solved today. And you can go on Twitter, you can go on Reddit. That's not location-based. Um, it's also hard to know who's actually on the other end and to make a great first impression unless you already have a following. There just needs to be a better solution here. Let's end with um, one pushback and then one takeaway. So okay. the, the pushback would be, uh, I'm old enough to remember a startup um, called Ning, uh, the premise of which was let a thousand flowers bloom. And, and you, we could, there, there's not going to be just one social network. There can be you know, tons of social networks for every niche in the world. And that kind of didn't work out because Facebook kind of was that for everything. And we even hear that still today when we talk about Facebook. Even people that don't like to use Facebook anymore are still stuck there because of their groups, you know, their quilting group or whatever. So again, that's sort of talking about what you're talking about. So my pushback would be, well, who's to say that any of these platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, can't just do this? Yeah. Like, is this an idea whose time has come or are we in danger of, well, of course, Facebook and some other platform will just absorb these ideas and do them? Well, I would say two things in response to that. Facebook groups is, is still a very powerful product and a lot of people still use Facebook groups. I, I know buildings who all their tenants are using Facebook groups to even just interact with their HOA, right, which is right. crazy to me, but like Facebook groups are still very, very powerful. Um, but there are some use cases where they don't necessarily work. Uh, one is on Facebook, everything is real identity. 
And there are cases where you want to engage in certain topics and you don't want people to be able to click into your Facebook profile and see how many mutual friends you have. There are topics, even support group topics, where you want to control how much information the other side has about you. And there are also groups where you maybe want to charge money to be part of this curated group, right? You maybe want to have exclusive subgroups within that group. There are a lot of functionality features, and then maybe Facebook will build them, um, but Facebook groups hasn't built, you know, a huge set of features yet, I think, that scratches all of those itches. And I think I, I go back to that identity point, which is why I do think these third parties will always still have, have a place. Because there's a lot of topics, even I think about like parenting and mommy topics, like you don't always want to mm -hmm. use your full name and identity when you're asking a random question about something that you're not known for. And it's because we inherently have multiple identities that I think leaves room for more than one social network. Right. And I think that we, we are now habituated to using different social networks in different use cases. And so like, this is what I use for my quilting interests. This is what I use for my golf. Yeah, I, I, I think you're right about that. The, the takeaway finally is something that you mentioned in, in one of, I think the last essay, if I was a, entrepreneur who who reads these essays and thinks yep this is pointing me in the direction of where the the puck is going this is the future what would your advice be should should an entrepreneur attempt to steal away a chunk of these big platforms for themselves or should you rip apart the big platforms and go vertical yourself ah i see well I think to be honest, um, you're going to hate this answer, but like okay. both of them can work. Both, right, right. <laughs> both of them can work. Like one, if you have a feature of functionality that an existing incumbent just is not catering to, um, and you do that feature better than anyone else, I think that can spur a, a brand new network. And maybe you focus just on audio, maybe you're focusing just on video, or maybe you're just handling it in a way that allows for better search or better discovery. Um, at the same time, there are whole communities that are willing to migrate off of these existing uh, platforms. The tricky thing on that is, though, either the community has to be quite young or, or you have to really convince them to migrate everything they have, all their historic chats, all their historic uh, relationships that are already built onto a brand new platform. I'd say the latter one is probably harder, to be honest, um, than starting with a, a feature as a wedge. But probably there's, uh, it would fit a thousand different uh, startups, so it doesn't matter. It's not a binary choice. But both can work. I'm right, that's what I'm saying. Work. That's what I'm yeah. saying. Uh, Connie, I, what I love about uh, y'all at A A16Z is that you love to show your work and you love to share what you're thinking about. So I appreciate you coming on to, to do just that. It's my pleasure. I hope everyone checks out Social Strikes Back. Well, link, so link, in the, link in the show notes. And, and thank you again, Connie. 